out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Esau. I'm with you for the next 60 minutes. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Jean Loves Jezebel, because I spoke to one of the main people. Yes, it's going to be Jay Aston, who I spoke to a few months ago to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Um, and after quite a bit of casual chat of getting to know each other, we started talking about that world that is and uh, was indie of the 80s. And this was Jay's response. Jay, it's over to you. Do yeah, you, we're in there. We're sort were, of there. We, we, we're, we, we're like a, a number one and number two indie album yes. before, we, before we signed to Beggars. And uh, sort of in that, um, people uh, look back and say, we were part of the original goth sort of bands, but uh, we didn't see ourselves as, as any particular band at all. We just thought uh, our own thing, that's all we cared about, which a lot of 80s bands were like that, I thought. Yes. That was in, you know, everyone's trying to do their own thing. It was important to have your own sound, own haircut, whatever else, you know. But it was every, there was ten, tens of a lot of individuals in the 80s, I thought, when I look back on it. Yeah, well, actually, I suppose mm-hmm. I, I sort of, as you do, you sort of you get on with your life and you just sort yeah. of... Um, I don't know, forget about it. And then you sort of look back and you realise actually the 80s was an incredibly rich period of music. It was. was. There was, there was a, a lot of, a lot of wide variety of music out there. It hadn't got compartmentalised to, to the degree that happened in the 90s, you know. No, that's right. So look, so, um, is it possible to um, just to sort of give me a background of your own kind of musical world as well? Because to be mm. honest, I'm in my mid-50s and I sort of grew up sort of just that sort of, I suppose, the early 70s watching Top of the Pops and getting excited with the glam stuff. And then obviously mm-hmm. David Bowie was my kind of first love with his, you know, I bought the single Space Oddity and, right. and, got, and got very excited. So what was your sort of musical journey? Because you grew up on the West Side, didn't you? Uh, I grew up in Wales, so um, so you mean you mean the west side of AA because you're on the east side. Yes, you? that's right. <laughs> well, we're all watching the same TV and buying the same magazines. Yeah, you know. So, uh, my, I mean, thought, thought all the people, you know, the glam years, that stuff affected me too. But I got older brothers, and uh, they brought a lot of music home and girlfriends and things. But my, I was always into singers from a very young age, so. People are always surprised when I say my biggest influence was probably the Beach Boys, you know, as, as a singer. Uh, stuff like Pets, Pet Sounds, and that really influenced me as a songwriter. Yes. But yeah, I don't know if you can hear that in my music. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but as far as stuff that influenced me as a kid, and, uh, you know, I, I, obviously I liked uh, a lot of the glam bands too. I liked Led Zeppelin a lot as a kid. Yes. Um, I, I, t- I went to see them and... That my my romance kind of ended with them because they're all always about power, and once they'd lost their power, I lost interest in them really. But uh, I, I mean, as as you know, with punk and bands like Doctor Feelgood that came along, that just freshened things up. Music got um, you know instead, instead of twenty minute guitar solos, it was two 
two-minute songs. Which, yes. Uh, well, it was quite interesting because because when I was growing up, I think I suppose, and, and so I can remember this. Listen to, I suppose my mum would be listening to um, listen to Radio Two in of the sixties, yeah. and and yeah, so listen to Jimmy Jimmy Young in the afternoon. And I sort of grew to love people like the Carpenters and Burt Backrack, which I still do, and I still, you know, from from those sort of songs, and especially the lyrics, I can see this join between absolutely bands like absolutely. the Carpenters and Joy Division and the Smiths. Absolutely, it, it, it's just got this kind of Romantic, melancholy. Well, well, well yeah, yeah, the Carpenters, especially, you mentioned there. Uh, Bird Backrath, yeah, these are classic and phenomenal, always phenomenal singers involved, you know, which yes. is always what I was like for, for an individual voice. Because part of, for me, part of life's journey with like, again, too universal on it all is, is uh, identifying who you actually are. And with music, we, we, we tend to hear these unique voices that speak to us. Yeah. And, uh, and, and inspire some of us, hopefully, to find our own all of us hopefully to find our own voice too but interesting because you mentioned older brothers and girlfriends but I, mm. I had an older brother who was seven years old and he was much more into that slightly bizarre world that is prog rock so I did right, sort yeah. of I did enjoy <laughs> the work of Genesis and Yes and Wishbone sure. Ash and Bark. but then you know I was about 12 or 13 and was just kind of fascinated with King Arthur and the Round Table by Rick Wakeman, which I just thought was kind of an interesting album, and and so you yeah. know then I, I you know as the years progressed, I started to sort of enjoy other things that weren't because my brother hated punk, but then I slightly went oh actually punk's quite good, and he was like no yeah. that's terrible, you can't like that, yeah. and it was a bit like I think that's where our friendship started to sort of wane a bit. Yeah, really yeah. Over that's... that, so so you obviously your older brothers probably had as did they have a similar music taste? Yeah. Uh... Well, I mean, it was a big family, a big Catholic family, you know. Um, which all like music, you know. My mum, my parents loved music, so there was music all around. I don't think we ever, um, we didn't have arguments. Oh, this is better than that, you know. Um, my sister would buy T Rex and and David Cassidy and all that stuff of that era. Yes, and I, and I would listen to her T Rex records without telling her. <laughs> I'd leave the David Cassidy there, but um, I don't know. We we didn't uh, fall out. I mean, punk rock. I mean, none of my, none of my brothers enjoyed punk. You know, for me, I find it liberating to cut my hair off and uh, you know, wear, and, and get skinny trousers and all the rest of it, drain pipes as we call them. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it was. It was a. You're, you're right. It was definitely one of those moments where. Um, it's like a Brexit moment. We we all got cut cut cut, cut in half, or a, <laughs> or Trump got elected in the US, where half the population hates his guts. You know, it was a, suddenly we we were all split. Uh, I mean, I saw punk as very refreshing. You know, yeah, and, I think uh, a lot of a lot of good music came out of it too. A lot of good good, especially the pop single. You know, I love the Kinks and all those kind of bands. So um, it was great to hear the Buzzcocks and people like this come up with great songs and and onward through to the Smiths, who were all connected to. Yes. As you well, say, so... Um, well, I suppose with, with the most punk, I, I often think it sounds like the, the Monkees meet in the Stooges or MC5. You know, it had that kind of the perfect three-minute song mm. at times, and it, but, you know, beautifully crafted, you know, chorus. Absolutely. Chorus. There, was nothing, there was nothing original, but it was just a bit more yeah. rocking, you know. So that was... It's, uh, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's a hard thing to define, wasn't it? But uh, you just knew it was something qualified and something didn't, and then, you know... So, MC5 qualifies, <laughs> and uh, I mean, 
Black Sabbath, didn't they? So, also, so you know. <laughs> their, their first album is amazing. But oh so, yeah, oh no, don't get me wrong. I love Black Sabbath. Don't worry yeah. about that. God, I know Black Sabbath, mm. the early years. But then, when did you decide this is it? We're going to do a band because in the because being from Norwich, we didn't have a lot of good bands. We only had a few, and you know, like the Farmers Boys, the Higson, Serious Drinking. Yeah. There wasn't a huge amount, and you being kind of. In a different, in, in a place which probably wasn't a huge musical heritage like London or Manchester, or Glasgow. You know, how did you sort of develop the band in those early, early kind of formative years? Uh, well, I think, yeah, like where I'm from is exactly like Norwich. True, yeah, we're at one. You had to be in London to make it, and that's why we it was just pretty much did a couple of gigs a year and headed headed up to London. I, I, I had a plan, and that was it. But as far as Music. We all listened to John Peel, and you know, we all bought Enemy and The Face or whatever else was around at the time. And so there was this network, and every every town had it had its collection of you know five or ten cool kids, I suppose, or just outsiders. Turns how you looked at it. Yes. Uh, and uh, we we all gravitated together, and um, there was a real culture. I know. And um, it was very exciting. And we would we would hitchhike to go and see Paddy Smith, whoever was coming through Swansea, which is the nearest big town or Cardiff. You know, I'm, I'm equidistant between the two where I'm from. So we'd, we'd hitch to either or I'll or jump the trains, whatever. And uh, we'd go and see Susan the Banshees, whoever was passing through you know, Generation X in Newport sometimes. But, uh, you know, it was a very vibrant time and very inspira- inspiring time. You know, it made, made you want to you know, get up and form a band. So that's what we did. And you did. Because (laughs) during that period, you know, I can remember and having spoke to a lot of people, the early 80s was quite, you know, it could be quite grim. Actually, it was really grim Mm. for for a lot of people, especially the youth, because I can remember sort of the unemployed years. And being unemployed wasn't really a big thing then. It seemed to be almost a career progression for a few... For for a musician, it was a good good move. It was a good... Because in that period, there was like, you know, unemployment, but there was also the Job Seekers Allowance and Enterprise Allowance Schemes. And quite a few people I've sort of spoke to managed to sort of like use those really well to to almost get a sort of grant for a year to to concentrate on the musical front. Did you also have, you know, sort of go through that kind of process that a lot of people did? Uh, with with us, I mean, we were on the dole and my friend and I, we managed to, um, we, we were shopping at Oxfam, like all, we we're all on the dole and... Uh, we managed to cover enough to get cheap guitars and things, but as far as we didn't use any enterprise schemes, or I'd heard of that at the time where people would get grants for a business by using for a band or whatever, but, but we didn't do that. What happened with us? My brother was working at, um, in a steel company, and uh, they, there was massive um, uh, just you, you're allowed to what do they call it when you, you could just leave and they give you a payment, I forgot what they call it, redundancy, redundancy payment, or whatever. Yes. So it's part of the Thatcher years things, and uh, he took it, and we used that to um, kind of finance, get get a PA, and also finance our, our move, uh, or help with our move up to London, because I got a gig at the ICA. I'd, I'd seen that, and our first gig, there is a, actually a Norwich connection here. Our first gig at the ICA was a uh, opening for the Higsons. So the Higsons, yeah. So um, there you go. There you go. So, so they were on the bill, and uh, I had to. Um, I mean, that, that was one of the few ways a band outside London could get some exposure back in, in the early 80s was to do the Institute of Contemporary Art Rock Week, which yes. always had a, a different artist. Joe Stalin did the week we were there and called me on my landline. I was living in Pimlico and said, oh, because we didn't have a name for the band. I was working at the ICA and I gave 
the uh, the promoter John Reed the my tape of, of some demos we'd done. He liked it and put us on, and I didn't actually have a name for the band. We'd moved from Wales, and we were called Slavarian, but I wanted a more colourful name, and you know, uh, someone called me Jezebel, and I just thought Gene Vincent. That sounds cool. Like Lennon had just released, just died. And I was listening to his rock and roll album with it, which he'd done a uh, Bebopaloo on. And I really had to think quick on my toes. Do you have a name for the band? I just wanted something that was colorful, that kicked against Theatre of Hate, Killing Joke, Bauhaus, all the dark stuff that was around at the time. And I, I just uh, thought Gene loves Jezebel just, just spoke to me at the time. And that was it. Once you're on the map, you don't, you know, it's hard to get on the map in, in the music world. Yes. Uh, we got, we got good reviews and just got uh, rough trade. Eight agency took us on and, uh, and then we, you know, beggars or four AD situation too, like this as well. So that's how we got on the map, really. The classic, yes, because because having spoke to a lot of musicians over the few last few years, I mean, there is this kind of a five year narrative where you know bands got to get together, they decide to you know be the the, the group, the members, and they mm-hmm. spend about twelve months sort of um, sort of you know, doing their sort of rehearsals and playing the odd gig and all that stuff. And then, John, you know, if they get the John Peel session, that gives them that real boost. And the John Peel, mm. you know, that play, that gets them a lot more gigs and around the country. And then that album. So things are sort of going well. And you actually had a very similar, you know, early years because you sort of got your sort of single out, you'd got the band going, and then you had the John Peel session as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, yeah, we, we kind of got... Did, some people did it the other way around. They'd get John Peel and, and then things would follow the other way around. But yeah, he, he, was, he was supportive, very supportive of us, yeah. Yes. Uh, as was uh, Kid Jensen and his evening show. And uh, yeah, a few DJs, you know. Um, I also remember watching him write in the afternoon saying, mentioning us, Exmo Deutschland and all these bands. This is, these are bands you'll never hear on Radio 1 in the day. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be on John Peel tonight. Yes. <laughs> The wonderful, kind of the wonderful, <laughs> the wonderful Steve, right in the afternoon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yes. But then, because you'd had sort of in that time, because you'd sort of got Julianne Regan to sort of mm-hmm. on bass as well. So you'd mm-hmm. sort of you were attracting a lot of fantastic people who obviously sort of you know, went on mm-hmm. to other great things as well. So it yeah, must have been. Did you feel like you were on a mission? Oh, we were typical young, and we, we and we were. Um, very, probably very insecure, but very overconfident as as a callow youth, you know. Um, but I don't know. We just thought we we just thought we looked look fantastic, and everyone should love us just because we looked great. To be honest, at the time, very eighties kind of ethic. <laughs> yeah. But um, but we were really into music as well, and we probably should. We got signed too early, in my opinion. We weren't ready for um uh, for for the for um for what, what was ahead of us quite yet. So it took us a couple of years to really get up on our feet, I reckon, about two, two and a half years. After coming to London to where we really started, you know, John Brand we, we produced us and started putting the songs into real form and all that kind of stuff, you know. But, uh, so I don't know, really. It was, uh, we, we're very sure of ourselves, you know. And, uh, I don't know why when I look back at it. <laughs> yes, because your your sort of your second album, Im- Im- Immigrant, came mm-hmm. out in the mid mid eighties, and then you did eighty five, yeah, a, a long American tour. Now most people, after when I've interviewed them, say we did America and then we split up, but you managed to survive both the second album and an American tour, which was pretty impressive because <laughs> that's that's normally double trouble for most bands. Uh, it was, yeah, it's, it's 
it's the whole our fate is quite how things work for us are very odd. I mean, we never had any intention of going to the US of A. Uh, beggars were just about to drop us when we did that immigrant album. The picture, the picture on the um, the cover artwork, which is kind of a goth classic cover artwork, the picture's like two years out of date because they wouldn't pay for a photo session, so we had to use an, an old picture. Because my hair had actually got very long by that stage. And um, yeah, we were it's very close to spinning up, but we had all these great songs, and we had, I mean, we had uh, a really good band, and we managed to, thanks to Terry Hollingsworth, the the A and R guy, to, to make this record, which sold out immediately and went straight to number two in the indie charts and beggars at the time were just shocked you know and uh and we we're due to due to tour italy weirdly enough and us and the fall and a couple of bands of beggars i remember being at beggars reception and it'd been very quiet in the london streets outside because it's in in wandsworth it's based beggars still is and you could tell there was something wrong. And what what had happened was it was the Roma Liverpool game. Do you remember when they, where there was the, the riots, the European final, and all those fans got stampeded or and oh, died? Oh yes. So uh, quite literally, we were due to due to go out and tour as with the fall and the the foreign office or whatever it said it was an inadvisable for any British bands to to tour Italy at this time. So um, we'd already worked with John Cale in New York. We just we'd done a, a couple of songs with him as an experiment. Uh, on a wild trip for a few days and we'd met um a promoter a famous promoter in uh, in, in new york so famous for bringing tons of bands over from joy division new order uh, etc and she uh, ruth her name was ruth polsky she was i mean it was her that was that had booked the joy division tour that um unfortunately didn't happen because yeah, as we know unfortunately they were due to, literally that was the tour they were just about to go on and ian curtis uh was just not ready for it. So, um, but she was a famed figure, and uh, my brother called her up and said, "You know, we're not doing anything." And she says, "Well, there's a, why don't you come and play in the US? There's a new music seminar happening, which used to be this event where all the indie labels used to get together, and some of the big labels too, and would showcase new bands. Uh, we'd get a couple of gigs at the Dance Interior, which is a famous club there, and you know, and that just escalated. We went over, did a couple of gigs, and." Suddenly, those couple of gigs became a three-month tour, uh, and it was a. I mean, a guitar player had a breakdown, so that's how James Stevenson came into the band. I literally, we did a couple of gigs uh, before James could join us, which was <laughs> quite hard to do. Uh, we had to literally double our own set, and because our, our guitar player had such a serious nervous breakdown, he couldn't play. So, songs I could play, I played just played twice, you know, because I was a rhythm guitar player, really. And, a singer was my main gig in the band and so yeah so that tour it was you know it was an amazing tour uh americans just took to us straight away the rocker in like us because we played stratocasters and les paul and the indie crowd liked us because of our haircuts i don't know uh and our pop sensibility and um yeah it was a so then we got sandy oh, everyone all the big labels came after us and yeah we we took to america surprisingly well because it was the last place we wanted to go because it was reagan land um you know we we come from a quite a left left wing background really so <laughs> we, was, we were quite surprised how, how uh 
how well we did yes and, and were accepted there so yeah. i mean i guess your the image and your general sort of mm. i suppose people like the cure and susan well, especially the cure they became so big in america didn't they they mm-hmm. became loved did, and i guess the cra- audience was just ready for you because it's surprising how many bands have tried to consciously break america you know and mm-hmm. have just kind of come back going nope they didn't really get to us at all whereas you obviously must have thought god we just did it without even wanting to it was an odd one because we 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 were of the mind. I mentioned right in the afternoon and John Peel. We we never expected to get played by mainstream radio, um, and so uh, we that freed us really. So we just did what we wanted to do. I like writing pop songs anyway. So as far as getting accepted for pop songs, that was always going to be easy for me. But as far as the way we looked and politically um, at that time, uh, for you know the. There was the college radio network in the in the US, which was basically 15 cities, uh, which had a very strong indie, what we called indie, uh, uh, influence there, and they all liked us, you know. And especially the most important one, which was K Rock in LA, that was always our biggest, biggest market, which is a huge market. They whatever K Rock played, the rest of the country played. So K Rock played us a lot. Yes. So um, uh, <clears throat> and MTV, you know jumped on and you know, obviously like the way we looked and they, they played us a lot so it was very, very weird for us because it wasn't where we were um, I mean we were working with John Cale one minute you know and on the John Peel show so we, we weren't um, expecting you know to be playing with David Bowie or you know um, some of the other acts we ended up playing with so it was an odd uh, <laughs> thing for us Yes, odd but Which enjoyable. Because, yeah, because, because like the Smiths, because I often put, I mean, you know, the indie pop years down as, as between 83 to 87, which is the years of the Smiths. Mm, they they uh-huh. For that five years, they were literally sort of 24-7. That was their life. They didn't do anything mm-hmm. else and released mm-hmm. albums. And you, I mean, obviously you went much longer than the Smiths, but you also released album after album, didn't you? You did you mm-hmm. know, Immigrant, Discover, The House of Dolls, and then a couple of years later, Kiss of Life. So your, your output, as well as your sort of live performance was was quite extraordinary were you just literally hammering yourself into the ground at that point <laughs> it was it was hard very hard there was a up until um well there was a gap between house of dolls and immigrant when my my brother left the band and there was all this period of just trying of you know trying to sort ourselves out uh but yeah we, we worked very very hard and it was incredibly exhausting um you know I don't know how any band survives it, really, but we did. And uh, I don't know, really. It was a. It, it, I just know the the gap between Immigrant and Kiss of Life was a long gap, like almost three years, which is a, a almost suicidal gap between albums. And in that time, of course, I think called grunge, uh, Nirvana happened. Yes. So um, that that changed the landscape for everybody, really. That was before it. Yeah, because I did notice or sort of you know, re- realised that most bands who had started in the 80s, whether it was the early or the sort of mid 80s, everything was kind of going OK. But then you, you realise there's the stamina of being in the band and dealing with the sort of legality and the publishing and, and the dynamics. But then there was the musical shift. So so when initially the well, the first wave was that sort of, I suppose, the ecstasy and the dance scene. So a lot of those indie bands just went actually when they were looking at their next album and trying to wonder what to record they thought actually we're just not going to become the happy mondays stone roses so that kind of that knocked out a lot of those kind of indie bands 
which mm. was kind of like, that's it, we've, we've had enough now. And if that didn't knock them out, the grunge scene definitely sort of wiped them out. But you managed to sort of sell through that period pretty good. I mean, you know, almost into Britpop before. <laughs> <you know. laughs> well, I was, you know, we just, I just... I mean, it's my expression, you know, I don't care what else has gone around me. I never did, to be honest. You know, I just carry on doing what I do. Um, and it's it's odd. I mean, um, there's so many of those bands are fans of Gene Lewis Jezebel, but unfortunately didn't say so at the time. I mean, Smashing Pumpkins, Billy come, came to see see us when we did a lot of plays in the summer. And yes, I got up on stage and he sang Stephen. Um, um, Blur, I mean, one of their favorite songs is Stephen, you know, uh, which they went on the record as saying. Lady Gaga likes us, and but uh, you know we when when all that when that period of the late eighties, nineties, etc. Yeah, it was it was difficult for all the bands because if you weren't into doing a Happy Mondays, then all the journalists were off their heads on E and, <laughs> and spending the time at raves and weren't interesting any that wasn't the time. Yeah, and so Britpop was uh, awesome when it came along. I thought I was, I was glad it came along. It was like bands are back you know absolutely and yeah. and just kind of just before that period i do remember because i sort of listen religiously to john peel and record it on my trusty tdkc90 cassette but john peel went through a real period of playing a lot of welsh bands didn't he like daft bloggy and um he did he did he did there's which, a lot, lot so you know you must have been kind of excited to sort of know that you're sort of homeland was sort of musically still sort of rocking during that mm-hmm. period it was uh, it was odd because it was all the all the bands before. I mean, I'm going back to the '70s with Man and Budgie, uh, and to some degree Sassafras, and then there was us and the Manic Street Preachers. We all had to make that move to London, you know, to to get anywhere and to get noticed. Where suddenly, you know, band, Welsh bands, Welsh speaking bands, Catatonia, etc. They were they were they were just they'd send in tapes to. John Peel and he'd play him to death, which is awesome. <laughs> but you know, we had we didn't we didn't get played until we we literally you had to go to London to make it. Yes, in the eighties, absolutely. In the nineties, that changed. Yes, but it was great. Yeah, it was great. Suddenly, people with you know, cool Camry and stuff. Yeah, that was nice because, as you probably know, there's there's racism against her, uh, against the Welsh to some degree. Uh, we used to notice. Um, so, yeah, or against, against the Scottish or, you know, I mean, Britain's the most dislocated place on the on the planet, I think. But, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was good to see that the people uh, uh, respected those bands. It was good. Yes. But then as we, we trundled into the 90s with, with John Major into the next mm-hmm. decade, that you this is where the, the, the sort of first kind of time when the band split. So was that kind of something that was kind of slowly coming or were you a bit surprised well when Gino's Jezebel split yeah well we didn't we, we never actually split you know that, that's if you're reading Wikipedia that's my brother kind of is very proactive and writes on that stuff so I've never I've never left Gino's Jezebel I formed it I thought of the name of the band and I uh, wrote a lot quite a lot of the songs um so uh we've never split when he left you know uh, that's a very different thing i mean that was on the cards for a very long time because because it, he wasn't really part of the band as such he didn't write he didn't play any instruments or write songs right so uh, he so he, in the in the process of rehearsing and all that period when you're writing he wasn't around really so um it was that, that created a lot of tension really and all my songs were always being picked by 
Geffen and Beggars, like Desire and Sweetest Thing and all these songs, to be released as singles. Um, so there was a tension, but he went he went off, and and we were all glad to see him gone, to be honest with you. But, um, uh, and then, yeah, so we just carried on. We're all very close, and I'm still playing with Peter Rizzo and Chris, uh, uh, Chris Bell and James Stevenson all, all these decades later. So, yes, you know, that's, that's part of his, my brother's narrative where he makes it like, you know, it's like we split up. Gene loves jazz, but never split up. Right. God, I know. It's such a, because it's like a, a lot of these political, the classic bands that you sometimes see. There's, I don't know, a few years ago, I did go and see Barkley James Harvest, and it was like so and so is Barkley James Harvest, or so and so is, you know, Bay City Rollers, or something like that. And it gets really confusing for the fan that you just go, I don't know, which one is this? But you are you are the essence that is Gene loves jazz, mm, aren't you? Mm, and and that's all. So did you ever sort of, you know, because I'm not sure the whole kind of that part of the history did you ever work again with your brother or was that just we got um there was a huge fan called taylor robinson robinson or rob robinson there's robinson r-o-b-i-s-o-n and he wanted to finance an album which became seven and so we did uh briefly tour together but it was horrendous and it ended uh, with me breaking some ribs of his um and that was that. Yes. Was that... <laughs> so we did. So that was that. that, was that. Yeah. Right, God. Was it, is it the case that the two of you just should never be in the same room together? Um, I don't want to say too much, really. But, no, um, God, obviously. Uh, sorry. But it's, uh, I just, I mean, it's up to you. So you have to talk to her. I just think he's incredibly irrational man. And I, I worry about him. And I don't know what he's doing, really. I don't understand he went to date. I mean, he stole the name in the US, but we have to call myself. Uh, we have to call ourselves Jay Aston Studios, Jasper. Um, him and his lawyer managed to uh, just commit perjury, basically, and get that. But that's another story. But um, I personally, I don't know why he's doing. It. I don't know why he's going on stage using my my name and my songs. And Desire is not an easy song to sing. He's not on the recording for that reason. Um, so to, to to see this drunk, uh, someone out of his brain on drugs, on YouTube, floundering about the stage with some amateurs is um, it's not really uh, pleasing because it hurts the, the name. The name of the marquee scene says Gene loves Jezebel, you know. Yes. So uh, so so we haven't toured the US for for years. So we toured in the summer with uh, with the the Alarm and Modern English because uh, we don't usually do, we don't do those eighties kind of things. It was pretty much because promoters just wanted the real band. Yeah, so, and, and uh, so we ended up basically being uh, third on the bill and playing a shortened set just because people they desperately they paid us very well, desperately wanted us to come over, and that's fine. But the, the damage to the name has been immense, you know, because uh, James Stevenson or P P these musicians they they're great musicians, and that, that's. Once you hear a song like Motion Love or Desire or 20 Kilohertz, when you, those songs come in, they're very distinctive players. And you'll, you'll know it's us. It's like, it's like watching you 2 at the edge of Bono. You know, it's, um, you should be appalled if it wasn't them playing. And that, but that's what's been happening for the last 20 years. <laughs> oh, God. And, yeah. Yes, that is a tricky one. But then you have a tour coming up next year in May. 
mm-hmm. which you must be very excited about, keeping the, yep. the flame going, so to speak. <laughs> but I suppose it's kind of strange because, like, there's bands like the Chameleons, and there is kind mm-hmm. of there is just mm-hmm. the one person who is really the, that band. I, I just have, toured. I just toured with them weirdly. With, yes, with, with Mark. Yeah. So. And it is kind of that thing that you know there is only one person who can you know like with Motorhead there was really kind of Lemmy really wasn't mm-hmm. it? and mm-hmm. then you know without Lemmy there was like actually just no. a pretend band. So you are you must feel that you do hold the sort of the essence of the band and the sort of yeah absolutely the, I do yeah it the, is I mean I've always it's a hindrance in many ways it's it's a deep friendship and respect that I have with you know Pete. And, and Chris and and James that keeps us together. We'd have split up years ago, otherwise. You know, we, we're great friends as well. They're great musicians, but uh, but sure, it's, it's something I created and something I'm proud of. This, if you like it or dislike it, look at me, blame me. Um, and uh, so it's it's been painful, um, you know, in many ways to keep it going, but. What do you do? It's my life's work, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, I've realised that speaking to quite a few bands, I, I think mm. sometimes they're for musicians. They've kind of wanted to get away from mm. the thing that is music and creativity, and then sort of had to accept actually this is going to be my life, and it's not going to mm. often going to make them particularly rich, but it's going to satisfy no. their soul. So it it is a kind of a calling almost. So you, you oh must... yeah yeah it it is absolutely well we, we happen to get on great with those guys as well you know so we we enjoy touring together you know. And and of course I do my solo thing, which I've managed to get acoustic gigs on my own. You know, which I just toured with uh, you know Vox Chameleons. You just mentioned Mark the US. I just did a, a big tour with them straight after my big summer tour. And so uh, I'll be doing some more acoustic gigs. Hopefully at the end of January uh, in the UK. I'll be coming back. Uh, literally January thirty first, so yes. into February. And then I'll be Gina Jezebel will be touring with in Spain and Portugal with a mission in 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 March, and then we'll be touring on our doing our UK tour in May. So it's looking good. And it's interesting because I spoke to both Wayne from the Mission and also um, Spear of Destiny, who I can't remember his name now, Kirk. Um, Kirk yeah. I mean, everyone is still not just touring, but are, you know, writing, releasing new albums. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that is in, in, in its way impressive because I know that there are these kind of like 80s things and mm. You know stuff that happens at holiday camps, which have got a theme about them. But at the same time, <laughs> it does it does kind of keep bands going, and it does kind of introduce them to new audiences. So you must enjoy that part of the kind of the process of of being in the band, and also meeting up with other musicians that at the time you probably wouldn't have mm-hmm. spoke to, but now can just go. God, we need to sit down and talk about. We need <laughs> well, to we're talk. all we're all older than wiser now. <laughs> yes, a humbler, hopefully. Do you often sort um, of talk about sort of the journey that you've all been on? You know, because being um, a... well, it's just you do well. You do because we have met, well, there are tie-ups between us all with different musicians. Um, being, I mean, little little vague. I mean, Julianne has worked with the Mission, for instance. Um, Kirk Chris Bell was playing with uh, was in the original um, Spear of Destiny. Yes. When I, when I purloined him for the Immigrant album, you know, I was always trying to get him to join. Gino says one, then I finally got him to join. Um, but that rhythm section on Immigrant, it's, just, it's a great sounding album because of those two, yeah, Chris and uh, Pete Rizzo, Pete Peter Bug Rizzo, uh, Bug is his nickname. I mean, he's the finest musician of of bass player of of, of our generation, with a shadow of a doubt. Yes. But um. So yeah, we do chat, and yeah, we. I mean, I, I've said to the mission because they've they've had their problems too. 
And I, I remember saying to Wayne and the guys, guy, man, go, your audience just loves you. You should just, you know, you just keep going, man. <laughs> but but the, the big thing is with 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 us, I know, when we, we were doing Gallup, we, we, we've never spit up, but we haven't been exactly that busy for the last 20 years. And it was just a matter of um, when we did the dance underwater album with the, with the fans, luckily we got we did the pledge music thing before pledge went down. I mean, that album, just that reinvigorated us. And that just made, made, made us realize what we've got and how precious life is as we're all getting older now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll be in my 30s before, you know. But um, <laughs> but it's just that that album was just, you know, because we did, I mean, we've all been through some stuff. And so so some of the songs are um, uh, speak, speak, speak of uh, some of the, the tragedies that have befallen some of us. And... Um, so um, a song like "How Do You Say Goodbye to Someone You Love," for instance, we've we've been doing that. No one's ever heard that. The album hadn't come out, and we were doing the last thing in the set. We were doing gigs with the Mission in, in Germany and things, and and then we and it's just the reaction we get to that song is. And I do it acoustically on my own, my own solo uh, thing, which is a very different experience altogether, by the way. But um, it's uh, it's as an album, it's just it's just suddenly we're we're a million dollars again we just feel so alive again and uh, it's the album that's that's achieved that really so i understand you know kirk from um from spear and theater hg he's always writing all the time so am i but uh, kirk um, tends to put stuff out regularly you know so when our next album will be um hopefully we'll start one this year and uh you know it'll be kick measured and we'd be you know we'd be we just won't put anything out we have to be very strong and something we all believe in because going just slightly back only 30 years to the 80s and that period there was it was quite a tribal period wasn't it you know there very was, yeah there was mm. like i can remember at school this was the late 90s you know if you mm. you couldn't like kind of heavy metal and the modern mm. period without getting beaten up you could never say anything against status quo without absolutely getting beaten up and then there was the, there was like you know and there was the goth stuff and then there was the indie mm. stuff and do you sort of feel because people quickly get put everyone in little categories especially in that time and music did seem to mean so much i have no idea what young people feel about music now but you know you'd play that record to death wouldn't you and you, you identify mm-hmm. with the band do you feel that you're sort of getting more kind of respect now later on in life because other sort of i just wonder if there was a bit of musical snobbery during that period that it's like okay. oh absolutely yeah yeah we we suffered from i'm sure we um we probably painted other people in the same brush too but uh, um no i i just noticed people yeah you're right people are older and, and obviously fans of other bands will see us slots live and um they realize, oh my god, what a great singer, and oh my god, what a great guitar player. Oh, what good songs! I didn't know that song, and all that stuff happens. Yeah, but um, you, people are less. Um, uh, people re- remember where they came from, but they tend to listen with more open ears to other stuff. I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I must, yeah. you know, and I, I, I must admit, and I have to confess here on air, but I was, you know, a bit of a musical snobbery. You know, it was like if it wasn't played on John Peel, not mentioned in the NME, I probably thought it probably isn't worth it. So you know, John, the John, the <laughs> John, the the kind of because John Peel was this great gatekeeper, Absolutely. wasn't he? He was for a long time. He his, his taste is his year was like no other. Yeah, sure. so that was you know being almost blessed with the sort of the peel was like okay you, you've made it and I do feel a bit sorry for certain bands and artists who he probably misjudged a bit and didn't sort of have on the show because he probably yeah, sort of put he, them... didn't have, he didn't have Japan and people like that did he which was a shame no he, did, I... he didn't get, he didn't get that 
Um, he didn't get them at all, actually. Yeah, which is which is a shame because which, there, there there was some value there. Yes, know? and talking of Wayne, I sort of you know interviewed him, and he just was bringing out his book, which was only mm-hmm. going to take him up to the very early years, which was quite no. amazing. Um, are you have you been tempted to sort of with the passing of time thinking it's quite an amazing story? Mm-hmm. I could I could write the book. Have you been tempted with that at all? Well, I start. I, I wrote um, which I've lost unfortunately. I, I wrote a chapter which I put on a on the web somewhere about the early years, a bit like Wayne has done, which got really brilliant, really well received. People loved it. And there's a publisher in the US wanted me to do a book, but it's such it's man. It takes so much time. But I got, I, I've always kept diaries or journals, whatever you want to call them since I was, since my late teens, you know, so I've got all, well, I know everywhere we've been, everywhere we've played and, and the stuff that happened to the individuals involved. So, I got the plot and the protagonist, so yeah, I could write a good book, probably. There's lots of fun, there's a lot of funny stories, but you know, writing is uh, it's, it's songwriting is so quick. You know, three minutes, five minute song, whatever. You quickly realize if it's working or not. That just doing that one chapter, it took so much moving around, readjusting before you actually get it right and it flows and it, and it's and, and it's a good a good read or hopefully a good read. Yes. I, d- I just can't imagine doing a whole book. And, uh, you know, I'd, prob- I'd, you know, I'd probably be lazy and get a ghost, right, and just tell him the stories and let him do it. But then then again, you'd miss my my little eye angle. Oh, I see things if I do that. That's my only fear of being in that way. I know. It's a tricky yeah. one. I know. I think, yeah. So I think... maybe, maybe I should, because there's so many cross paths. I mean, uh, people, you know, I bumped into who were nothing and vice versa, people who helped me when... I was nothing, and yes. you know, interesting. I people for I people interesting for I, but, but the beggars people came to see us last time we played London, which was awesome, you know. Um, and they wanted they were doing a book on 4AD and beggars, the beggars group and things, and they want me to come come in and <laughs> and chat about um, you know Ivo and, and and Situation Two and all the labels and, and birthday party and all the stuff that used to go on. Back in Hogarth Road and onto into Alma Road in Wandsworth. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of we've all got stories for sure. Absolutely, because <laughs> the one thing I did notice there seems to be this um, a thirty year period where you know with the, that passing of time things suddenly take on quite a different quality. It's almost mm-hmm. like we you know things are quite disposable when they're happening and you just take yeah. them for granted and then you know and you almost ignore stuff and then suddenly you think my god that's absolutely amazing that's that mm. needs to be archived and and mm. somehow sort of recorded and i noticed that quite a lot of bands now have got films that have appeared like there was um the go-betweens the chills that you know the wedding present the slits l7 mm. so i just wondered because you must have quite a bit of footage and stuff like that what's what amazes me is um the times we've been filmed i didn't even know we we're being filmed there's footage of us from the dance interior this uh, gigs in New York, which I, I didn't even know anyone was filming. The ICA was filmed, so that's out there. Us opening for Bauhaus was filmed. Um, so it's uh, yeah, there's it's all out there somewhere. Some Italian TV did some stuff for us at, at the Camden Palace, which used to be the Electric Ballroom. It became Steve Strange took it over. Yes, and uh, they wanted us to go up and mine because Banana Arm and all those kind of acts were doing it at the time for the for the. Um, for the Camden Palace, and I insisted that we uh, played as a band, and then we did that. And then after the, the Rusty Egan and Steve Strange said, "Oh no, we should always get bands." So we kind of made a little change there, where bands started playing there again. Um, 
Ton, tons of, yeah. It's just finding out where all the footage is, you know. Yes. I've got video, I got videotaped in the attic of quite a lot of stuff. But yeah, it's just about just digging it all out. <laughs> and one thing that often gets bands, if, if, if not the personal dynamic within them, it's kind of keeping hold of the whole publishing and ownership of music. Did you manage to navigate that with any success? Um, well, how has it been? Well, most of us, I mean, we're, we're all young and naive and have dreams and we're all ripped off. <laughs> of course, that's the nature of the game. But um, I come from a, a background where we shared everything. And so a lot of which I would write on my own, I would share with everyone. And I, I just got to a stage with Desire. With Desire was the first song. I went, no, no, I'm not sharing. I, I'm tired of this nonsense. People take credit for my for my music. And uh, But that was just out of pride of what I'd written. I'd never put my name to something I hadn't written. So there's a weird dynamic within the band. If my name was on something, then I had something to do with it. But if it wasn't on there, sometimes, um, I you know, I, I didn't reverse it where everyone, where everyone was included. Everyone was included in my some of my songs, and I didn't get included on songs I wasn't in. I didn't write. So, uh, but the other rest of the band didn't seem to think like that <laughs> Not when I look back at it. But um, that's okay. I just figured at the time I'll I'll be. You know, I'll earn all the money and it's, I, I can't earn all the money and let the drummer earn nothing. So I put everyone's name on the publishing. Yes. Because you but did, I mean, you had Desire and then there was also a few years later, you know, Jealous, which also mm-hmm. got to an incredibly good position mm-hmm. on American radio as well. So, mm-hmm. you you know, you did sort of keep the hits going. Well, I write, song, I write songs, you know, I can't help it. Uh, I'm, I'm a songwriter. I don't, I could never be in... Um, a lot of the goth bands and things because you know, there's there's a lack of melody and, and and form which I love in songs you know so um, or, I mean all those if you listen to Jealous Sweetest Thing uh, Motion Love Desire all those hits if you want to call it Upstairs etc etc they're all very different they're, none of them sound the same and um, to me that's always been important as a songwriter I could have just written desire forever and they'd all been happy or jealous forever and, they, and they'd all be happy but we just wanted um each each song to have its own thing yes and just lastly what would you say to an 18 year old self that was starting out in music because obviously when you're 18 you're starting quite fresh but if someone you know you could say something to that person just to say by the way <laughs> well it'd be different for everybody wouldn't it it um, would I just wondered what thing yeah. you would have just thought for me personally for, for John John Aston who was called J.A. and then later just J the first Jezebel uh, I'd have just done it all on my own me and my guitar and I had no band and just gone out there and just done it on my own because no one sings like me or writes like me or does what I do yeah so um, and that's what to, to be as old as I am now and finally getting doing gigs on my own I just did a tour as I said with the comedians on my own and and to get agents and audiences to have their jaws drop and they realize oh my god I didn't realize you sang like that you know it's 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 so theatrical what I do you know um it's uh I wish I had done that because I could do it from day one yeah you know? so I, I, I could always sing I was up my brother hadn't developed a voice yet so I, I was very because he's my twin it was the guilt of, of, of not helping your brother. 
uh, we'd cut a lot, cut a lot of nonsense out if I just sang and just done my own thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so and that also, would be the one thing. Yeah, because I was just thinking, you know, at the time, you probably thought Billy Bragg. I don't want to be Billy Bragg. I want to be in a. But then you, you do you ever think, God, actually, Billy, that was quite a clever move. Billy's a weird. I love Billy. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but uh, I didn't. I just thought it was in a Thatcher era. It was like the Clash without the rest of the band. You know, that's yes. what it used to sound like to me. And I just thought he should have had a band just to gainfully employ his fellow brothers, you know, or sisters <laughs> at the time. You know, um, but no, I mean, yeah, I'd, yeah, that could have that could have been a way. But you know, the, the friendships I've made and the adventures we've had. I mean, the. I don't know if I'd have survived on my own when I look back on it and realistically, can you imagine? No. Um, the, but the band gives you certainly it's an umbrella and there's some safety. Your safety uh, you get as a, as, a, as a group together. And because against... I was going to say with your current lineup, you've, you've been pretty tight and close. I mean, do you ever sort of get in touch with any or does anybody ever get in touch from your the kind of early years and the previous mm, band members? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I've, I've done things with, with Julianne and Jean-Marc Liederman, who were early members of the band, um, which is people have really loved. I just did. Uh, we just did something that's coming out. I think it's coming out in March. It's... Um, Jean-Marc, he's worked with te- um, Front 242 and a lot of the tech, tech like Depeche Mode side of things, you know, he's on, on Meet Records and all that kind of stuff. And he's remained friends with Julianne too. And they just, he, he just asks me, he has these concepts for albums and he asks musicians he knows to, 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 to write songs for them. And there was the new concept was something about what belief, gods and beliefs and all those things. Well, you know, so I wrote a, wrote a song called um, I Don't Believe in Angels, which he loves and Julianne loved it. So she's done all these amazing vocals on it. So, uh, yeah, I'm still in contact. And Steve Marshall was, was on the first album. I'm very close with Steve still. Um, James Chater was the very first drummer. I see, see him when I'm in London, you know. Um, yeah, I, there's, 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 there's only one. This I don't talk to Marcus. Uh, Gilvia, who is, plays on the original version of Desire and a lot of Discover because he played with my brother and I thought that was a really bad thing to do as Gene Los Jezebel yeah. for someone who's in the band he should know better um, so I haven't spoken to him since uh, and I don't speak to my brother because he's, he's mentally ill <laughs> <laughs> so that's it but everyone else involved I'm very close friends with and you know I get on great with and you know we, we hang out and if, if we're in the same town we go out and uh, they'll drink and I'll have, uh, I don't drink alcohol, so, um, but we hang out and have fun. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, what is it, just lastly, what is the sort of secret, what not secret, but, you know, what is it that, you, you know, because obviously there are certain people, and I'm thinking of people like Mick Jagger, who know how to sort of survive this world in, in sort of the creative industry and um, being on stage. I mean, what's your sort of lifestyle uh, we all have different stories, don't it? My thing is, I mean, I, I just um, drugs didn't work for me because I just love reality too much. You know that I love the the air, the air on my skin, and you know I like I like the day. I've been in situations with with people where they've been doing cocaine all night long, and you know you, they get up in the morning, they're still in the kitchen, and it's a beautiful day. And you th- and I've said to the man, you're going to spend the next couple of days in bed, aren't you? Just recovering from for what? What have you just achieved? <laughs> you know, so um, 
so that so I was never prone to that side of things. I like to drink, uh, but I just suddenly realized one day, what what does drink do for me? And it was a process. It does nothing for you. You know, it doesn't make me any funnier. Uh, in fact, it can make me ruder and meaner. So um, that was easy to lose. I like to, I like to I hike for miles. You know, I, I walk twenty, sometimes thirty miles a day. I love to dance. I love to things that make me happy are dancing. Well, I call it dancing. Some people might argue with it, but, <laughs> but uh, I like to I like to be alive with it. The days are short, you know, and, and singing from a very very young age made, set me free. You know, it made me feel good. Uh, and it's you don't need any musical training with singing. You, uh, I have taught people to sing, but most good singers. It's usually a natural gift. They, I, I found that they can just naturally do it. You can develop it, obviously. And so, yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I love to jump on stage and show lean, and I, I, I want to burst out of my skin, you know. Yeah. I just, I, I just dance all the time. I just can't. Stop. The, the guys like me to play guitar to, for rhythm guitar and stuff to back the music up, but I'd rather just keep moving, you know. So, someone from the alarm said, me, "Oh, Jay, it's a ballad. You shouldn't be dancing in a ballad." <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, I just can't keep still though, and it's just, it doesn't matter what people think. I'm just doing what whatever, what that child in me allows me to do, you know. So, which is everything. Yeah. So I, I mean, I just, um, Mick Jagger is driven by different, different uh, goals, I think. But in in essence, yeah, I think he just loves being on stage, and he loves the energy he gets from it, and uh, his energy on stage is pretty phenomenal. So, um, yeah, so yeah, when it comes down to it, he, he cares about houses and I don't. And, but he also loves just being on that stage doing that music. I know. Mm. Is that the one thing that's going to keep you alive to the end? Uh, with, without, if I couldn't walk, would that, I mean, if, I, if my voice was to find it, my voice is very strong, and, but you don't know it could go. Um, that I could still, pro, I mean, I don't know, really. I listened to Elton John or... Many of these singers that should have stopped singing many, many, many years ago, in my opinion, and um, not knocking him, he can do what he wants to do. But when you when you can when you can hit the notes go up and down that scale, it, it just frees you up to to write better songs. You know, it it just opens up different different emotions. Um, so I don't know. As long as I can walk, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, this is great. Well, thank you ever so much. Well, Dave. thank you, David. Thank you for showing such interest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's always a fascinating story, and 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 yeah. also, you know, it's just great to to hear somebody who's um so full of life, especially this because this is the winter solstice, isn't it? Our longest night, shortest day. So um, was it today? Oh wow, I didn't know that. The twenty, okay. the twenty first. It's a sort of twenty first, twenty second. It's a bit of a you know, it's the period. Yeah. It's that moment where you think. We've done it. We've got here, and now mm. it's going to slowly get lighter. Well, so. Yeah, that's good. Twenty twenty clarity, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it goes really well because um, you've got quite a lot on actually, and um, yeah, hopefully a lot, gigs, a lot yeah. of gigs, and hopefully a new album one day. An album or two, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to do some solo things, which capture what I do live now as well. So because yeah. I haven't, I've never captured that on record what I do live. So or solo wise. Yeah. So, so we'll see. <clears throat> and has it, I mean, just just very briefly, I mean, getting that producer, engineer is so critical. Have you managed over the years to sort of get the recording that you want? Um, it's, 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 you were on it speaking earlier about songs or whatever, things meaning more as you look back on them. 
Uh, I don't know, Rim. It's 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 an odd thing. I've never found the perfect producer uh, because I like to. When I work, Pete Walsh is a brilliant producer. A lot of producers they want you to sing perfectly in tune and you know perfectly in time. And I like accidents, you know. I don't things don't have to be perfectly in tune for me. That's why I like working with Jean Marc. With the, as you hear this record, it's uh, they're, they're live takes or the Ugly Bugs album I, I did with Pete Rizzo, you know. It's uh, I got no one telling me, Jay, that you're a little bit sharp there, you know. Or you know, it's like uh, I, I won't worry about that, or because uh, I just I want to go for the feel of the song. Yeah. And when I, when I listen to something, my favorite vocal I ever did on record is. Um, is is the song called it's called Swedish Jezebel but it's actually the very first version of Swedish Thing and if you look for Swedish Jezebel I, I had flu that day and I, I, I could barely speak and I thought oh my god I can't sing this and I listened back to that vocal it's the favourite vocal I've ever done so and it would have gone out as a single but I felt so guilty about singing lead vocal with my brother Nothing To Do that we re-recorded the verse tracks to give him something to do so um, which I regret but uh, because it's my favorite vocal. Yes. So, but the point is, you, you just don't know. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's just a, the best vocals are always the ones where you're not you don't have to be an actor and sing them again. I like to do them pretty much live. I guess that's why I like to do my solo stuff. I just kind of press play and record, and that's whatever it is that is the song. I just love it. And that was my interview with. Jay Aston from Jean Loves Jezebel. Um, thank you for listening. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86show. I will be there. It's always nice. Keep it positive. And also, all these shows and interviews have been um, archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Anyway, have a great week. <laughs>